Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Research Ops Podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops Community. I'm Benson Lowe, a director on the board of the Research Ops Community. Today, Bridget Metzler is interviewing a re-ops professional, Roy Opta-Olede. Roy is the Research Ops Manager at Zapier and is passionate about developing the field of Research Ops. As always, we assume if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about Research Ops, the mechanisms and the processes that sets user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about Research Ops, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, or our Medium site. Follow us at Team Reops on Twitter and join in the conversation at hash research ops. This was recorded quite some time back in July of 2020. And unfortunately, as with many things in 2020, it has had to sit on ice for some time. Roy's interview shines a bright light into the corners of research ops and highlights often unacknowledged aspects of being at the start of something new, getting to pave the way and ride the wave. We hope you enjoy this chat. So welcome to the Research Ops podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. My name is Bridget Metzler. I am your host for the day. I have with me here Roy Opata Olende. So welcome, Roy. Thanks for joining. Hey, my pleasure. So glad to be chatting with you. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. I'll just give a little bit of a, a little bit of a rundown on who Roy is. So those of you who do not know, Roy has been involved in user research and service design since 2012. He currently runs the research operations practice at Zapier, helping the teammates across the globe learn customer insights more efficiently and effectively. Prior to this role, he led the UX research practice at Buffer. When not working or hanging out with his wife and three young boys, he can be found obsessing over football, which is also known as soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Roy hails from Kenya and currently resides just outside of Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Roy. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming. So um, you've got this fantastic blog uh, site that I've been reading quite a bit about. And um, I think it's, uh, it's such a important thing to do I think at the very beginning of this research ops sort of um, odyssey that we're all on it's so Mm -hmm. important to document what how things happen because it's how we sort of pave the way so yeah yeah thanks for paving the way (laughs) no it's one of those things where I um yeah being being in a research research ops role full time, mm-hmm. I sort of recognize that this is a position that not many people um, get to have and get to enjoy, and the the practice is quite new uh, in terms of the you know, how many people know about it, how many people are actually doing it full time, and and it's really this thought that I feel that the the more I share, the more likely people are to just be aware like I, I i think i i i write about this in in the summary like you, you're not getting pulitzer prize type writing here this is just my experience my observations and my thoughts and i feel like the more all of us share what's going on uh, the more we can all benefit have a good conversation about everything related to this practice and research in general and UX in general. Mm. And yeah, it just helps us all think better and do better work and, and be, be more, be happier and effective in, 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 in all that we're doing. So yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for, thanks for reading that and, and mm-hmm. mentioning it. 
Yeah, I think it's um, it's super generous of you because um, you know the, the capacity to learn from other people's mistakes and go, oh yeah, I get that, and this is what mm-hmm. I should do, or being able to have something to point to is everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this and the research ops community has been has been huge for me too, right? Like, you know, we'll get into a, a bit of my story, but you know, before this, I was doing research and some level of operations type work um and and really the resources the research ops community put out there gave me a footing to begin to understand what this is about and you know of every single article that's out there like um everything you've put out everything emma emma bolton's put out everything kate like all the i I feel like you've been the leaders of this thing and um that has helped me so much that i feel if I can just put something out there, whether it's right or wrong or somewhere in between, it's just going to help. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So on one of your, um, one of your blog posts, you talk about paddling versus surfing and, you know, as an Australian, I, I find that uh, a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you want to talk to me a little bit? Let's set the scene. How did, um, what, what did you do? before before ux even like can we can we go back a little further just yeah stand way way back goodness mm. so so when i went to uni i um so i'm from kenya i came to canada for undergrad mm. with the intention of doing uh medicine so sports mm. medicine my my mother's a doctor not a sports doctor but i was like oh that seems like something fun and i was sort of into the sciences and so i did i was doing an undergrad as a pre-med and realized about two and a half years in that uh, everything related to chemistry and microbiology and all that stuff, even though I could do it, I just, I got zero enjoyment from it. And I really felt from seeing my mother and watching her um, just live life as a, as a doctor, that it was, I feel like being a doctor is somewhat of a calling, you know, it, it takes up so much time. It takes up so much of your life. If you're going to spend your life doing that, you should be, you should sort of be all in for whatever reasons you have. Um, and so I did, did decide to finish my undergrad, but switch over into, um, into more of the business side. And my dad, he, I pretty much went from focusing on my mother's profession to focusing on my father's profession. So actually I got to, to do my master's in, in Australia, in Sydney, University oh, of South wow. Wales. Yeah. And, um, and I focused on organization and management and I was working in a working in a corporate job there, you know, um, living life in. I lived in Maroubra, the suburb in in Sydney, and venturing out to to the CBD, working working during the day, doing my masters in the evening, and thought I'll do this for the rest of my life, right? Uh, but I came across this this Aussie program called Red Frogs, which is essentially when there's if if you're unfamiliar with schoolies, schoolies is for, for anyone listening who doesn't know about mm-hmm. schoolies. Sort of this experience where grade 12 leavers congregate in different parts of Australia and just have a week of, let's just say fun, right? Yeah. I think they have it in America too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty wild. And it's this, this, it's this thing called Red Frogs, just a, just a program that helps out kids and make sure they're safe as possible, that sort of thing. And so I was volunteering in that and got the opportunity to actually take it to Canada so I got an wow. opportunity to actually just, it was a, a church that gave me the chance to bring this back. And so, yeah, I came back here and, and did the nonprofit thing for 
for a few years, had a lot of fun uh, spending my time sort of um, spreading it across Canada, got it into about 12 unis around Canada and uh, sort of like raising funds and, and doing that stuff. But eventually, so I realized as I was starting a family that the nonprofit world can be great, but um, when it comes to salary, it's sometimes not, not too good. And my wife and I had always decided that she, she'd always wanted to be home with our kids being small. So she was, she was going to quit her job. And, um, and I think the, the month after our first son was born was when I resigned. Right. It moved on to a friend of mine and, um, and then it was a hunt for a job, you know, let me figure out whether I can use my masters. And as I was looking for a job, I started to sort of do work with friends, right? They knew I have this masters in in business, like organization management. So you must know stuff about how to like org design and that sort of thing. And so started to help out friends and that eventually a, f- a few months into this uh sort of you know my wife was like i think you're running a business here i think this is what's <laughs> happening and so stop stopped looking for a job and just kept on doing that um right. and so i did that for about three and a half years originally focusing on sort of like org design and employee engagement because that that's sort of more what i studied but pretty early on i realized that I'd go into these companies, help them sort out how their teams are structured and all that. But eventually sort of seeing it doesn't really matter. In a sense, it doesn't matter how well you're organized if you're not serving your customers well. And that opened me up yeah. to customer experience. Um, and sort of the customer experience service design, I started to just learn myself and dabble and, and sort of realizing if I know more than my client and then I'm an expert, right? <laughs> so <laughs> learned on the job, just figured it out as a solo consultant, doing work in and around the Toronto area in Canada. And, um, and that's how I sort of got into customer experience, service design, just self-taught, learning stuff, trying it out, doing pitches, like mm-hmm. scrambling to figure out what the stuff all meant. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's sort of how I got into this sort of, CX service design and then eventually when I started to work for a for a software company that's how I got into UX. Mm. I can almost see you coming full circle there. Um, (laughs) To what extent do you think I don't I don't know a lot about um, org design but to you know to what extent do you think that org design is actually service design are they similar are they different? Um, In a sense I think the there's, I view service design as, as like it's, um, I don't know if more, more holistic is the way to sort of describe it, but um, I enjoy the fact that service design is often outward focused, at least as I started to do it, I was really thinking and focusing on, you know, the experience that customers had, like mm-hmm. how can we sort of track this across the different touch points and, and sort of bring this back to thinking through how how does this affect your business, right? Um, what I found with org design is the link to the effect on the customer was often missing, right? right. It was very much inward focused. And I think that's a good thing. You, you definitely want to provide a an atmosphere and a structure and a system where people can thrive. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, 
to be honest, much of the work I did was not about, oh, let's do something that's going to be really effective for our teams. It was like, well, we've been having these issues. Let's just do something to, to make it a little bit better. It wasn't sort of transformative. It mm. was just, let's just, let's just make it a little bit better because this yeah. is a big problem. And generally, right. that's what people are coming to consultants for. They're not mm. coming to consultants because things are working great. Yeah. Uh, it's like something's clearly broken. And oftentimes I found at least that it wasn't, it wasn't this really grand thought of how can we think about all the things we're doing here and deliver them well and have a great internal, um, internal design for our team. Uh, so I think the switch I made was getting away from conversations just about let's make our team a little bit better. You know, this some, sometimes legal was involved. Like we need to, we need to just shift this a little bit to the attraction to customer experience and service design being, oh, like how can we deliver these experiences that um, even little ones that our customers are going to benefit from. They're really going to see that we're trying here and mm-hmm. we've been thoughtful about what's going on. So, um, so I think the more the perspective I had was going from inward facing to outward facing even though there are definitely elements of service design you can pull into design for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about that transfer into, into research ops then. So coming back to your puddling versus surfing. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. in UX, you're in UX and you're, you're like, what's next? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For those so, of anyone who hasn't read the article, do you want to talk us through puddling versus surfing? Mm-hmm. So basically I came to this point where I was looking for my next opportunity and I'd been working as a UX researcher, a solo UX researcher, team of one uh, at a company called Buffer, a software company. And, uh, and I was thinking about what my next role would be. And I was actually interviewing for a few jobs. So interviewing sort of for like uh, senior researcher jobs, research manager jobs. And I also saw this opening for a research ops program manager. Now, as a solo researcher who is helping designers and PMs sort of do uh, research themselves and trying to skill them up and build process for them. Uh, that sort of gave me some, some exposure to research ops. Mm. And as I thought about the opportunities, um, I sort of thought about uh, this analogy of, of paddling versus surfing, right? So, um, you know, if you're, if you're out surfing, generally, if you're, if you're going out from the shore, you jump on your, jump on your surfboard, you got to paddle out and it's sort of like swimming on the board. Um, and that's a very different process than standing on a surfboard and riding the wave, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I looked at these two practices, UX research and research ops, one thing that came to mind was where was there an opportunity to ride a wave, right? Where was there the greater opportunity to travel further with almost less effort, uh, not because research ops is easier in any sense, um, but really because when you have these sort of nascent practices or industries, there is a big opportunity to, um, like I'm doing, share what I'm doing and, and have it be something that folks can can read and take interest in, right? So mm. uh, sort of think of a practice like marketing that's been around forever and ever. Um, it's not that marketing isn't 
is an easy job or difficult. Marketing is marketing. It's, it has its difficulties. It has its, you know, areas of, of ease. But I sort of thought if I'm going to go into a practice and spend time and energy somewhere, wouldn't it be cool if I could do something where I could travel further because there's just more, there's just more opportunity here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I could think of a few ways to sort of extend the surfing analogy, but I, <laughs> I, 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 in a sense, like I, I lived, when I lived in Sydney, I lived at a, a place called Marubra and Marubra beach is a surfer's beach. Right. So, um, when, you know, when it's good, like there's surfboards everywhere. Right. Yeah. Same, same thing, a few beaches up at Bondi. Um, yeah. but there were certain beaches. My, my roommate, Chris was a massive surfer. Um, and you'd never find him at these, at this big, no. beaches, right? Like, because you'd spend a lot, you'd spend a lot of time on the surfboard, but you wouldn't spend a lot of time actually surfing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he would venture out to these other beaches where he could actually spend more time surfing, more time <laughs> traveling. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's sort of why I thought about, yeah, the opportunity in research ops being sizable to, to make a contribution, to do something new, um, relatively new, and to try and make an impact in my company, but also share what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I thought about, as I was thinking about a position, where is there an opportunity here that I mm. could almost do more? Um, yeah. And also working for a great company. I think if, if, I was, if the opportunity came up in a company that I wasn't attracted to, I think that would be a harder call. It'd be a tougher call. But everything lined up um, to join a pretty small team that wanted to, to you know, bring in research, research ops at the ground floor, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've spoken to some research op operations folks who are coming in when there's, you know, 30, mm -hmm. 40, 50 UX, uh, UX researchers which is, I mean, it's great because the company is investing in research ops. Um, we have four senior UX researchers um, and the team is growing, but we're yeah. at the spot where I can come in and build system, build process, build relationship before we get to a stage where, mm. you know, we have like tons of researchers on the team. So, yeah. Sounds like the sweet spot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, so many, so many things that occurred to me as you were talking. Um, so speaking of, the, of that sweet spot, I guess, uh, do you have an opinion about when, when is it time for research ops? Sounds like it might be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is definitely, it's definitely colored by my experience, right? Mm. And my conversations with folks who are maybe in a larger context. The... I know, I, I'm not sure if, if Kate Towsy still has this opinion. Kate, Kate's essentially the I think she does. person yeah. <laughs> who, who saw this research ops thing. Like, um, you know, for every like four or five mm -hmm. UXRs, you want to have a research ops person. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, a reasonable call because yeah. even at this stage where we have four senior researchers, um, we have probably about 20 designers slash PMs who are doing research. We have a few more than that, but yeah. not everyone's sort of heavily involved in research. Mm. Um, I think at this stage, it's beneficial to bring someone in to sort of standardize what's going on and more than even standardize, 
to sort of help multiply the efforts of, of folks. So, you know, we, the, the company that I'm part of called Zapier, we have a tool that connects apps, right? So yeah. we help folks build these automated workflows basically using different sets of apps. So if you use MailChimp and, and Gmail, you can trigger something in MailChimp and, and or you can, yeah, you can trigger something in MailChimp and have certain actions happen in Gmail, whatever the software you use. And one thing that I've seen is being able to set up some automated workflows for research has helped our team, especially P- PWDRs, the, the designers and PMs and such. Yeah. Just People make who do it, research. Yeah, yeah. Just make it so much easier for them to do research. Mm. And because it's easier, they want to do it more, right? Uh-huh. So I've, at the beginning of the year, I, I recall you know, the first couple of months, there's like a few research, a few research projects going on, but like not too much. Um, I think I wrote about this on the blog, um, on my blog, uh, System Seventeen, a couple of months ago. Like, there were, I mean, it was at least at least like six or seven, um, six or seven research interviews happening per week, and this doesn't include any of the unmoderated studies we were doing. We mm-hmm. saw this this inertia because all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, it's really easy for me to recruit because <laughs> we have these automated workflows. I don't have to, once I like have a list of people, um, these workflows just help me get to the point of speaking to them super easily. So people yeah. despise that admin. And, <laughs> and so being able to slot in and, and help people have those conversations they want to have already see how much how much that's affecting people's work and teams and so and that's why i sort of think having a research ops person come in earlier rather than later Mm -hmm. not only allows you to build really good systems early but it actually helps to accelerate the learning within Mm -hmm. a company i mean if if that's the goal right like for us that's the goal we want for people in our team to have as much exposure to users as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We believe that by doing that, um, they're able to sort of build up this, um, whether it's this instinct or just this knowledge about what really matters to users versus what just seems like a bright idea because I'm a great designer or (laughs) I'm a really intelligent product manager. Mm -hmm. Generally, those ideas tend to be either anywhere from bad to okay yeah. <laughs> very rare right the yeah. more we're exposed to users the more we just have a different language a different a different mindset a different perspective mm. so yeah I, I i definitely feel as though the earlier you can bring someone in the greater the, the potential for their effect to, to help mm. a team so let's talk about that getting started and and i guess i want to sort of come towards um, that idea of research ops as service design. It certainly, you know, rings true to me, um, that whole practice of, of having to sort of map out all of the systems and processes and, and mm-hmm. environment and context of um, what's going on, how does research even occur. Um, across the life cycle definitely rings um, massive bells for me. So where did you start? And I guess I'm interested to know, 
because I have theories about this, but if you started in a particular place, then I want to tease out why. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know if you use the research ops framework or any of those kinds of things, but, you know, mm -hmm. where was your, did you start with like a community of practice or did you start with recruitment? Or what was it? Or did you start by yeah. actually going, how do you do your work? <laughs> yeah, I think a bit of a mix of, of all, but if, yeah, if I can sort of think back on, it hasn't been too long. I've only been in this job for six months. Mm -hmm. the, the biggies for me when I came in, the conversation I had with I had a research, and I really appreciate, I think this is a really important point, having a good head of research is a big deal <laughs> because that's, a, that's the key relationship, at least in my context. I know there's, there's some designs where um, research ops sits within a greater ops sort of function. Uh, in in my setting, research ops fits within mm. the research team. And so I report to our head of research. And one of the best things as I was interviewing and beginning this role was her acknowledging that, you know, we sort of have these ideas for what you could do, but mm. you're the expert, right? Um, so, so you tell us what you want to do. Right. Yeah. And so as I came in, the big, the first thing was gathering context, right? I needed to understand what was, what, what was, what is research at Zapier? Who does it? Um, mm. Why do they do it? How, how is it done, you know, four years ago compared to today? How is, mm. how, why have things shifted in the recent past? Um, and, and sort of get a really deep understanding of, of those reasons. And so, yeah essentially the first my first major project was just a sheer research project it was researching, researching the, researchers right researching researchers <laughs> so absolutely yeah it's fantastic right yeah um and that gave me context for for how things were mm. um how things are but then my conversations with the head of research really framed how do we want things to be yeah right yeah um and this is why that relationship with head of research is so pivotal because I think research ops, research ops work that isn't shaped by really clear research ops strategy is, is very risky. Uh, you risk doing lots of work, investing lots of time into projects that may be beneficial, but are not sort of critical. Right. And so Sounds like your Unders PM's doing their, uh, this is what I think we should do with the product. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Lots of great ideas, but is it actually, is it actually what needs to happen? And, and sort of realizing which moment we're in. So, so for context, the moment that we, we found ourselves in as a research team was at Zapier, we have this, we have something called all hand support, right? And all hand support is there's an expectation that every Zapier employee spends two hours a week engaged with customers. And generally right. that has been in the support queue, right? Yeah. Now it just so happens when I joined, um, less than a month after I joined, there was a lot of inertia behind we need to make all hand support a little bit different. How can we give more opportunities for people to 
engage with customers, but not necessarily answer often very technical support tickets. Yeah. Right. Don't so, right. <laughs> yeah. And our, our product is, is more technical. technical than most. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that moment there was an opening, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought, could we provide an experience to our entire cost, uh, entire company where they could jump in and observe research they could just like wherever they are in the world, just hop into a call, super easy, um, listen in, do a debrief at the end, and hopefully come back the next week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was the context we're in. This was the moment we had. Mm-hmm. If I had joined six months ago, we wouldn't have had that moment. But the conversation I had in my head of research was, how can we sort of get a whole bunch of people in our company from level zero researchers, if you want to term it that, right, to level one. And by level one, I just mean they're aware of it. They've taken part in research. Research isn't this weird thing out there that these people do that I don't understand all the Mm -hmm. terminology and stuff. How could we just get them to realize that, oh, yeah, I can can be part of research. I'm not a researcher. I'm not a UX researcher. um, But... I really want to be engaged with our customers and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, not only did the researching research become a critical project, but also setting up the, mm-hmm. these all hands research ride-alongs, right? Okay. Where our teams could, could join in this experience really easily and learn from customers. And this was sort of the first big sort of like service design project where you know you're talking about you know there's there's over 300 of us maybe nearly 400 of us now we're totally remote company always been remote always been fully distributed how do you make how do you create an experience where anyone around a company that's global can easily jump into a research call have context of what that call is about Mm-hmm. Um, benefit from it, like do a debrief and have an experience that's so good that they would say, yeah, I would, I would make, I would take out 45 minutes next week to do this yeah. again. Um, that's, uh, that's a big challenge. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's like a giant challenge. And, and I was fortunate that I sort of got, um, I got a few cracks at this because the first iteration, we were really clear that like, this is just for this, this small part of the company. So we, we, we were standing up a new, almost like a new initiative. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, let's, let's do all hands research ride alongs for this initiative, right? Yep. Let's, let's test out the trial systems, it. <laughs> trial it out, see how yep. it goes. Mm-hmm. And that gave me the opportunity to, to tinker around with what could work, get feedback, think about sort of the experience. What are these touch points that people engage in? Because it really is something for them that is a service, right? Like they're coming in and, and they're like, I, I don't really know about research. Um, yeah. What's Their it going to be like? Their user experience matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. What's yeah. it like for me to, um, like, do, do I just jump into these calls or do I get some context before them? Mm-hmm. So, you know, standing up sort of like a UXR, 101 mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. 45 minute course where you jump in and 
it's really interactive and friendly mm-hmm. and sort of demystifies some of the things that people mm-hmm. think about when they think of UX research, right? Yeah. And so making that as engaging and, and fun and collaborative as possible so that when they think about research and think about joining a call, it's like, oh, you know what? I had a, I had a really fun time and I learned a bunch in that UXR 101 course. Roy said it would be like sort of similar. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll sign up for a try. research ride along, you know. Yeah. And um and so that was that was sort of one of the first big things that that we did and being able to 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 sort of have these guinea pigs, this, this sort of small initiative that we could work with, um, was was really helpful. So so to go back to your question on like you know where to start, you know researching the researcher was was critical to get that context. Mm-hmm. having this close relationship with the head of research was also critical because th- then we could work together to realize, let's seize this moment. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually stopped some of my research work mm-hmm. to, to seize that moment. We, we had just wrapped up yeah. our, our retreat. So we gather a couple of, a couple of times a year uh, and we were in Orlando and we just thought, you know what, we've got to make use of this. We've got to do something here. Um, yeah. And so that's yeah. that's sort of how I thought about the the early part of my my time um, okay. with Visa Chops. And so, uh, which sort of components or or parts of ups have you like? Are you working your way through? Have you, mm-hmm. have you got a panel? Are you doing the recruitment? <laughs> Tools yeah. are next. Like, what's the, what's the what's next? Yeah. So so once once we stood up this these research ride alongs, mm-hmm. uh, the next part was with this momentum that we have, right? Yeah. With people learning about UX, like, you know, we had people from a cr- like every corner of the company mm-hmm. doing the course, jumping into ride-alongs. The next thought was, how do we sort of like throw some more fuel into this fire, right? Yeah. Let's, right. let's see this moment more. Let's just like, you I'm know, with a band. I'm never right. <laughs> <laughs> because the, 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 what we thought, like there's, there's a few ways you can go here, right? Yeah. It's sort of the, the thought of like, well, let's go out and, and build good systems and, and do this really well so that as people are getting more exposed to research, then it is really almost like a, a, tighter, a tighter experience. Uh, maybe it's, the, it's a better designed experience, not only for, yeah. for our team, but for participants, that sort of thing. Mm. What, we, what we decided was, we will do that, um, but we're in a moment that we haven't had in the history of this company. The company is less than 10 years old, so mm-hmm. it's about nine years old. Um, but we're in this moment where if we can sort of build, again, a speaker, a return to this inertia, we can mm-hmm. build some inertia here. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make corrections in a month, in, a, in two months, in three months, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the next thing was, we know that as people are being exposed to these ride-alongs, the, you know, the energy around doing research is only increasing. So let's make it easy for people to recruit, right? So right. recruitment became the next thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and with our recruitment desk, we, we actually, the approach we've taken is everyone sort of a self-serve recruitment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but building systems building workflows that make it a lot easier for our teams yeah. right so we don't have a dedicated recruitment coordinator 
mm-hmm. but we have systems and tools where if you're trying to speak to people, um, you know, here's like a set of zaps that you can use yeah. and exactly how we do this um, yeah. so that you can more easily interact with them. So before it was like, oh, you know, and, and this, is the, this is what I'm hearing from PMs and designers, especially, mm-hmm. you know, I really love research. I really want to do it. You know, it's, it sounds crazy. I, I haven't spoken to anyone in a year. Oh, wow. Right? Because it's like so much trouble to like find yeah. people and, and the back and forth. And I'm not sure which Calendly account to use. I know there's probably a mm. research one. And, and it's a year and you have PMs and designers who want to speak to customers, but they're just so they're busy. Things get yeah. in the way. So recruitment was the next big thing was like yeah. building in these really simple systems mm. so that once you have your list, the next thing you have to do is jump on a call. Okay. Everything else is taken care of. Oh, that's Everything amazing. else is taken care of. Yeah. Right? So and that's important the, for the company, right? Like it's yeah. the bit you don't want to get wrong. hundred <laughs> percent. The mm. consent, um, mm-hmm. you know, the screening, mm. like all of that is, is automatic workflows that are built for you. Right. So you're kind um, of going through the barriers and removing them one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because we felt as though if we could do this, then especially our PMs and designers mm. are getting this exposure. They're learning things they didn't learn before. Mm. And it's this snowball effect, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah. I want to speak to more. I want to speak to more. And we actually reached a point a couple of weeks ago where we thought we were almost out of our incentives budget because of the <laughs> volume of research that was happening. Luckily, um, it was just a, a, a small, a small issue, clerical, yeah, sort of clerical issue. Yeah. But, but it was, we were definitely doing a lot. We are definitely doing a lot more research mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. was happening before. That same PM who talked about not doing any research for a year Mm-hmm. I don't have the firm number, but I, I will easily say that he has spoken to at least, at least fifteen of yeah. our customers um, yeah. in the half year that we've, and yeah. really, I mean, since we started this, it's probably more along the lines of four months, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, just a startup. Yeah, just made it easy, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so. I'm slowly working through these pieces, recruitment's a biggie. Uh, mm. As Q3 starts, data and knowledge management is lurking. Say, I can see lurking. it. It's lurking. There's I, a mountain I, growing in front of you, Roy. Uh, uh, it's great to accelerate this, all this stuff, right? And this is what yeah. I was talking about. Like, do you, is the chicken the egg? Like, do you, do you build out data knowledge management systems first, or do you accelerate people into speaking? And then sort of pull it back, right? And we went, <laughs> you know, we went with just just go for it. Let's yeah, yeah. Let's fan this flame. <clears throat> yeah. But in that, <laughs> there's now this large and growing problem of mm. how do you keep track of all that's going mm-hmm. on? How do we make sure that we're sharing this knowledge? And so it's uh, it's the it's the mountain in the distance that's lurking. I've got to pedal up that mountain, but um, I, would, I will gladly do it because we, we're now at a place where mm. the, you can really sense the, yeah. 
the inertia with people being exposed to customers and the, wanting the that exposure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Imagine what happens when you get to the top of the mountain, hey? <laughs> Oof. Is, is, there, is there a mountain top? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it just extends. I have this forever. feeling that you get to the top of one and you discover there's another <laughs> one. <laughs> it's just a whole other one. <laughs> and, and you would know more about this than me, but I, I always feel like that is the most underrated and complex and, I mean, rewarding, but really challenging aspect of research operations that... Mm. Um, I think I hear researchers talk about it and like, oh yeah, we'll just build, we'll just build a repo, we'll just do this. And it's like I don't, I don't think you know how complex this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is an appropriate uh, gif in there, I think. You know, the, yeah. one, the one about I, I don't think this means what you think it means. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Um, I guess we're sort of coming up to the end now, but. Um, Finally, you know, the, we've got a lot more in common than I than I would have ever first imagined, right? You know, oh, yeah? surfing, Australian beaches. <laughs> um, we both have uh, several boys. I have two young boys and you've got oh, three. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as a, as a parent and, you know, obviously, and we're both working in distributed ways too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd love to just sort of touch base about how, how you manage that the the family time and the work time and you know because research ops is a particularly demanding kind of thing you know if if you need Mm -hmm. if you need your participants tomorrow morning then you kind of need to get that done yeah got any uh any any final thoughts on that one (laughs) (laughs) you know the the approach that i've taken is i can't i can't be the bottleneck right um while I'm here to to serve our team, our researchers and designers and PMs and all that, mm-hmm. um, I definitely feel as though um, it can't be a situation where people are waiting on me, right? Uh, it can't be a situation where people raise something to me mm-hmm. and I've got to I've got to do it in the next two hours. Like that that needs to be sort of like a once or twice a year thing. Um, yeah. And and so I think what what's helped is coming in with this perspective that I'm not going to do your recruitment for you. I'm going to build the systems so you can do that. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to do your incentives for you. We're going to make it really easy for you mm-hmm. to do that yourself. Um, the communication is happening in an automated workflow. If mm-hmm. something breaks, of course, someone can reach out to me. But mm-hmm. I think just setting sort of setting that in place that I'm not here as sort of any final approver. Um, There needs to be enough testing done on our systems that they can work without me. Um, And so what then I take into my, into my work is sort of a way of working that allows me to have a lot of focus time on my big projects and only have part of my day, where I'm sort of firefighting slash mm-hmm. meeting with people and, and figuring things out. And again, it's not maybe traditional firefighting, like, you know, I need participants right now. Can you please help mm-hmm. me? Um, that's, that's definitely not, uh, not a thing. Um, so, so the way in which I structure my day is, you know, the first half of my day, it's my focus time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, 
the first half of my day is an early day. So I start my work day at five in the morning. Yeah. And so this before came the kids wake up. <laughs> before the kids wake up. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so generally anywhere from at least nine to 10, I'm heading to sleep. Mm. And, and I wake up early, wake up at four, every single, every single weekday doesn't help my weekend sleep ends. I'll tell you that <laughs> I can't, I cannot sleep past six thirty yeah. <laughs> on, on the weekend, but um, I'm able to start my day fresh at 5am. I'm starting in on my top priorities. Mm-hmm. I do two hours of work. I take a break, make bracky, hang out with the family for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, back when they were in school, uh, our two eldest are in school, drop mm-hmm. them off at school, yeah. then do another two hour block. And that's my focus time. If I can get yeah. four hours of focus in a day, it's successful, right? Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. hundred um, percent. And, and my email's off. Um, Slack isn't open. Mm-hmm. I, the, the certain things I know I cannot open up. If, if I click <laughs> into Slack, I am yeah. not strong enough yeah. to stay away from the stream, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to dip, I'm going to dip my hand in the stream and it's not coming out. Right. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the important thing that both the hours that I work compared to people in North America mm-hmm. and this focus on, well, the first part of my day is for me. It's not for anyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has just helped me and our teams sort of understand how I work, but also give me the flexibility to then take out bigger breaks during the day, like say a day like today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Monday over here and you know, I took out a few hours in the middle of the day and I was just sat down outside with our kids playing yes. some guitar. They were like, you know, they were throwing the Frisbee around. Sat with my wife out there for a while. She was, get, she was doing, she was getting some tanning in, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, and just like took out a big chunk in the middle of my day mm. to spend time with family, right? Because yeah. I think it's, it's great to, it's great to, to have a job, especially at this time in the world and to be able to, to do good work. Mm. Um, but to be able to, set up the way in which I work and the hours in which I work so that I can be around for my children. That's, that's, that's massive. And I'm really thankful to work in a remote company where there's enough flexibility there that we, we know communication happens primarily asynchronously. Yeah. So even though some folks are on Slack constantly, (laughs) people know you're probably not going to hear from me. Um, unless I happen to be in that moment in Slack, ready yeah. to get back. Yeah. Now that isn't viable for for some people in in the companies they have and the work settings they have. Yeah. But to be able to have that that approach to work yeah. enables me to take my kids to school every day, have a break in the middle of the day, pick them up from school every single day. Um, yeah. And what what more kid could you what want could you as ask? a parent? Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Um, well, I'm just going to end there and say thank you so much for your time. It was really valuable and always great to connect with other people who do this sort of work. <laughs> no, <breathe>, learn. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much, Roy. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe and join us in the Research Ops community. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, please drop us a line at teamreops at gmail.com. Our next show is with the marvellous Bindu Apaye. Bindu is a senior service designer at Medix and is a local leader of the research ops community in the Netherlands. She has been in the community more or less since the beginning, and her passion for research ops has seen her local chapter grow, providing a much-needed focal point for the growth of the profession in the Netherlands, along with many notable locals, such as our friends at UX Insights. We look forward to catching up with you soon.